course, you see the connection between that hymn and the final hymn and the text in John chapter 3 this evening, I'm sure. But let me mention, as we were singing How Firm a Foundation, which also just comes to mind was one of our dear friend and elders, Vince Strawberry Jr.'s favorite hymns, one of them, that you may have noticed that it was from Rippon's Selections. And um, that was a famous collection of uh, hymns uh, that was pulled together by Pastor John Rippon. John Rippon was succeeded by... um, John Rippon succeeded John Gill, pastoring in London, and uh, Rippon was soon thereafter, after his death, succeeded by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. So there's an interesting connection for you. For those of you who are wondering about Galatians, we'll get back to it. We have chapters 5 and 6 to go, and I'm, um, we'll get to it uh, before too much longer. But now, John chapter 3, the first 15 verses. <clears throat> John 3. Verses 1 through 15. May the Lord bless the reading and this exposition of his own holy word. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. For every sinner who is saved by the grace of God, the Lord does two things. More than two, but tonight we focus on just these two things as we begin this sermon. He causes us to be accepted in God's court of law by crediting or imputing the perfect record, the righteousness of Jesus Christ to the believer's account. This we call justification. But also, prior to that, He puts His Holy Spirit within us and makes us new creatures and brings about moral transformation within the heart, grants us that faith by which we actually embrace Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel. Now, both of these are indispensable. For every believer, these things have taken place. Both are required if we are to know the Lord. Justification gives us the title to heaven. Regeneration begins to make us fit for heaven. 
Justification is a declaration concerning us. Regeneration is an inward moral change wrought by the Spirit of God. Now, John chapter 3, the passage we've read, these first verses, are about regeneration, about this moral transformation that is called a birth from above or a new birth. We find in the text that Nicodemus, this ruler of the Jews, well-educated in the ways of the law, came to Jesus by night. Perhaps he didn't want to be recognized because, indeed, he was a leader of the Jews. And Jesus sweeps away his opening remarks and points immediately to the need of his heart. We read in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is perplexed. He doesn't understand what this means. And so we read in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus points to the necessity of the new birth in verse 5 by saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. From this and other passages, let's look at this vital matter of regeneration. It's vital because Jesus says in verse 5, Without it, no one enters the kingdom of God. Now, the first thing we want to see about the new birth or regeneration is this. Let's just ask the question, what is regeneration? Regeneration is a radical change of heart without which we cannot know God and we cannot enter into his kingdom. A person is only a true Christian who has experienced the new birth, who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Why is it true that some trust in Christ and others do not trust in Christ? Why do some hate their sin and believe and repent and others love their sin and will not believe and will not repent? Why do some look to Christ for forgiveness and others look away from Christ and will not trust Him for forgiveness of their sins? Why is it that one will sit in a service and believe the gospel and another will walk out having heard the same gospel and reject that gospel? What makes the difference? The difference is the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. One has the new birth, one does not. And so it's absolutely vital and it's of extreme importance. Regeneration is a radical change. Please understand. Our fallen condition is such that as we saw from Ephesians chapter 2 last week, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are rebellious against God. We hate God, the God of the Bible, the God of truth, the God who really is. We may love our notion of God, but we hate the God who is. We love ourselves, and we have no understanding of spiritual things. That's our condition outside of Christ. That is what the Bible teaches, and it's very clear on this. And so it is required if we are to enter into the kingdom of God and know Him that there must be a radical change within the heart. Ezekiel calls this the giving of a new heart, the putting in us of a new spirit. John calls it being born of the spirit. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, he calls it a passing from death to life. It's that of which we spoke this morning when we said there must be a genuine transition from wrath to grace. That's the new birth. It is a thorough transformation of the heart, such that the Bible says it's the giving of a new heart. It's the removal of a stony heart and placing within us a heart of flesh. It is such a radical change that it changes our bent, changes our direction, changes our trajectory. We love what once we hated. 
We now love God, and we love His people, and we love His Word and His truth and His holiness. We love this newness of life. We have a new goal, which is the glory of God. We have new tastes, and we are indeed a new person when we receive from above this birth from the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards said it well when he spoke of a a new spiritual sense. We have a new spiritual sense. And those of you who are readers of Edwards know that one of the illustrations he frequently used was, one can know honey in one of two different ways. You can know honey, and I'm not talking about your wife or your sweetheart here, I mean the honey that we eat. You can know honey by some scientific method. You can know all about it. You can analyze it. You can take it to a laboratory. You can talk about its constituent parts. You can know how it's produced. You can know all about honey. You can describe honey. But have you experienced honey? Have you actually tasted honey for yourself? Have you ever eaten it? Have you ever put it upon a piece of toast? Have you ever loved some of that North Carolina honey that a friend gave to us a few years ago that was so wonderful? Can you taste it? Can you experience it for yourselves? And so you see, there's the difference. Someone can know about honey. Someone can experience honey. You can know about theology. You can know about the new birth. You can quote Bible verses. You can recite the catechisms. But do you know the God of the Bible? Do you know the God of this true theology? Do you know the God of whom our catechism teaches? And so there are nominal Christians, as we call them. But nominal Christians are not true Christians at all. Thousands upon thousands of church members undoubtedly are nominal Christians. No, no, if one is to know God and enter into the kingdom, as Jesus says in verse 5, there must be a transformation from wrath to grace. There must be an inward change of the heart. There must be a translation from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. Now, this happens at different points in in, in life for different people. We have around here, for example, our elder, Dan Delane. Now, if you were to ask Dan, Dan, when did you come to faith in Christ? Dan would be one of our elders who would tell you, there was never a time in which I didn't know and love the Lord Jesus. I don't remember a time. I don't know a time. Because the Holy Spirit, working in his covenantal household and in his circumstances, so gently worked in his life at such an early age that there was a genuine transition from wrath to grace. The point is, he trusts Christ. And so that has taken place in his life, even though he can't remember the time, and he can't take you to the place. On the other hand, if you go to Elder Bill Roberts and you ask him, when were you converted? When were you regenerated? When did you come to know the Lord? He can tell you about it. He can tell you when this happened. Because God, the Holy Spirit, did this in his life at a different place, a different point in life. So please don't think that when we talk about these things that I'm suggesting that there is one morphology of conversion. And that the Lord works in everyone's life in identical ways, in exactly the same way. That's not true. The truth of the matter is, however, there must be the new birth. It must happen for one to enter into the kingdom of God. Stephen Carnock, the great Puritan, said, Christ may be in the mouth and the devil found in the heart. The name of Christ may be upon them and the nature of Christ not in them. And when that is the case, their claim to regeneration or the new birth is not worth having. No, no, again, verse 5 is so clear. Truly, 
truly. You know, when Jesus wants to stress something, he does that. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Regeneration makes a moralist see that he needs the righteousness of Christ. Regeneration makes a drunkard sober. It makes an immodest girl modest. It makes a swearer clean-mouthed. Regeneration cleans the heart, changes the nature. So that's the answer to the question, what is the new birth? What is regeneration? The second thing I want to do is to stress the necessity of regeneration. Now, Jesus says in verse 6, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. By flesh here, he's almost using Pauline language, even though this is John. He means that we're still in our sins, in a worldly, uh, worldly way of life. We're inwardly curved. We are self-focused. We are unconcerned for the glory of God. We're engulfed by the present age. We love the world. We have a sinful heart that is unchanged. Like generates like. Flesh generates flesh. The Holy Spirit generates those who are spiritual. And so in John 3, we find in verse 6, he speaks of those who are born in sin. In verse 3, he speaks of those who are blind. In verses 9 through 12, those who are ignorant of spiritual things. And in verse 8, he speaks of those who are powerless. Now that means regeneration is necessary. If I'm born in sin, if I'm blind, ignorant of spiritual things, if I'm powerless, then how can I do anything to bring myself even to a savable state? I can't. And so it's a universal need. I don't care where you are in the world. I don't care who you are, whatever your station in life may be, whether you have land or not, whether you have titles or not, whether you have wealth or don't, it doesn't matter. It is a universal need, this birth from above. Because the psalmist says in Psalm 51, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Every one of us has the same need. The moral man like Nicodemus, or the drunk in the gutter, we all have the same need, a new heart. Regeneration is not an addition to who we are. It is a total inward transformation of who we are. It is a birth anothen from above. Sometimes translated new birth, very probably it should be birth from above. So we do not see this by nature, because of original sin, because of the corruption of our whole nature. We don't know our own hearts. We speak of sin, I can tell you this myself. As a a young man, when I, I went to church, went to Sunday school, didn't have a clue of what the gospel was, even though it was preached by my pastor, taught by my Sunday school teachers, I didn't have a clue. I had no understanding of these things whatsoever. Speak of sin, what is sin? Uh, Danger, the danger I'm in? What do you mean my danger? What danger? A need of Christ? What need of Christ? Holiness, who wants that? And it's very, very sad, but that's our state by nature. We have ears that are deaf to the most beautiful music. So without regeneration, we are unfit for heaven. We wouldn't even enjoy heaven if we could go there, which of course we couldn't. The dead cannot hear singing, and uh, the dead cannot enjoy the things of God. And here, here we need to understand 
that those who have a Christianity which is simply a Christianity by name, that those dying without the new birth will be lost forever. Again, when Jesus says in verse 5, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said this. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the text. Christ said it. Now, the third thing I want us to see is that regeneration is a sovereign work of God, the Holy Spirit. That unless the Holy Spirit effectually work in the conscience and the heart, it is impossible for you to be born again. You could, not, you could not give yourself birth the first time, and you cannot give yourself birth from above. The Holy Spirit alone can do this, and that's the point of verse 8. When Jesus says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it goeth, or whither it goeth, whither it cometh, or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born, born of God, born of the Holy Spirit. The wind just seems to blow where it will. You don't have any control over it, none whatsoever. It's a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. No more than you can control the wind can you control the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's something that needs to be stressed because in modern evangelism in the church today, we are taught that men believe in order to be born again, and you can actually manipulate belief. You can manipulate faith. You can manipulate people into believing. And that's simply not true. We are completely passive in regeneration. We are acted upon. We're dead, right? Dead in trespasses and sins. We are completely acted upon. And so regeneration precedes faith. We do not believe in order to be born again. We are born again in order to believe. The total, totally the opposite of what I was taught in certain settings when I was a young man is what the Bible teaches. I don't believe in order to be born again. I must be born again in order that the gift of faith be granted me, in order that I can embrace Jesus Christ in the gospel message. We are born again in order to believe. Faith is the result of regeneration. So, clearly regeneration is not just admittance to church privileges. Clearly regeneration is not simply being baptized. It is a sovereign, free work of the Holy Spirit, an inward transformation that causes you and me to be new creations in Christ. There are many things that you may go to heaven without, people of God. You can go to heaven without good grades, young people. Study hard, but if you don't have good grades, it's not going to keep you out of heaven. You can, you can um, go to heaven without a job. There's some folks around here that are looking for work right now. You can go to heaven if your name is never known by others in this world. But you may not go to heaven without the new birth. It is, it is of vital, vital, vital importance. And so are our hearts changed? Do we know the Spirit's saving work? There's a hymn in our hymnal written by... Matt Matson, Lord, I was blind, I could not see in thy marred visage any grace. But now, the beauty of thy face in radiant vision dawns on me. Lord, I was deaf, 
I could not hear the thrilling music of thy voice, but now I hear thee and rejoice, and all thine uttered words are dear. Lord, I was dumb, I could not speak the grace and glory of thy name, but now is touched with living flame my lips thine eager praises wake. Lord, I was dead, I could not stir my lifeless soul to come to thee, but now since thou hast quickened me, I rise from sin's dark sepulcher. Lord, thou hast made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the dumb to speak, the dead to live, and lo, I break the chains of my captivity. And that is what is called the new birth. The fourth thing I want you to think with me about are the evidences of regeneration. How is it known? It's known by its effects. Again, in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Just as you see the wind that blows the trees, you see the effect of the wind. So when the regenerative work of God is, is something that has taken place in the life of the soul, it will out, it will show in various ways. How will it show? Let me mention some things briefly. The effects of regeneration are first conviction of sin. Conviction of sin, not simply legal convictions, the kind of fear that the unbeliever has of death, for example, or of the judgment, but a true recognition that I stand before a holy God deserving of his wrath and that apart from Christ I'm going to be lost. That's the point of John chapter 16 when the Lord Jesus speaks of conviction of sin and he says in verses 8 through 11, And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me, and concerning judgment because of the ruler, the ruler of this world is judged. We hear of people converted today who know nothing of the conviction of sin, have no sense of having offended a holy God, don't believe it. It's simply not true. No one has ever truly been regenerated and converted to Christ who doesn't have a sense of his guilt and his need of a Savior. The Holy Spirit works to show us our need of Christ, conviction of sin. And then, faith in Christ is the effect of regeneration. The one who bore the sins of sinners, now I I trust him, now I, I depend upon him, that great word fiducia. I actually depend upon him. I cast myself upon him. I trust him alone, holy and forever. Faith in Christ is a result of the regenerating work of the Spirit of God. The obverse side of faith is repentance. Repentance, then, is the result of the regenerative work of the Spirit of God. The mind changes about everything. I'm not saying that that transformation means we will not struggle with sin. As a matter of fact, we begin the struggle with sin when we are regenerated. We really begin the struggle then. But there's a change of mind and a change of direction. There is repentance and there is a change of life. So that holiness of life and obedience becomes the bread and butter of the Christian. Now keep your finger here and turn to the little epistle of 1 John. And let's read a few passages together. Because in 1 John we see that a change of life is the evidence of the new birth. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 John 5, 1 and 2. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, 
when we love God and obey His commandments. You see the connection with the new birth in verse 1 and loving God and obeying His commandments in verse 2. Or, if you will, turn to chapter 2 of 1 John. And there we read in verse 29, If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Practicing righteousness, holy living, if you will, is the result of having been born of God. Chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from out of death unto life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And so the love of the brothers is a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, again, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And then in verse 18 of chapter 5, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has, was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And so very, very clearly, faith in Christ, habitual sin is broken, love of the brethren, overcoming the world, holiness of life, pleasing God, being careful about our walk, all of this is the result of the new birth and will be found in varying degrees in everyone who truly knows Christ. And another effect of regeneration is prayer. I could say others, but prayer. When Paul came to know God, behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. Prayer. Now let me be very, very careful here. You must not think, you must not think, that these effects that I'm speaking of are in any way the ground of your relationship with God. There is only one ground of your relationship with God, and that is what Christ has done on the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. These are effects, not the ground. You're not trusting the effects. You're trusting in Christ. But nonetheless, the effects will be there. The effects will not be equally strong in all Christians at the same time. Some effects will be more pronounced than others. Still, the effects will be in the regenerate person's life. Do you remember what John Newton said? I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the cry of a regenerate heart. Evidences of regeneration and of saving faith show in the pursuit of holiness, the hatred of sin, and the desire to be more like Christ. Let me put it this way. In regeneration, we are completely passive. I'm dead in trespasses and sins, can do nothing to bring myself to God. The Holy Spirit regenerates me so that I receive Christ freely offered in the gospel. But now I'm indwelt by the Spirit and I'm no longer passive. The truly regenerated person is no longer passive. He's very active, running the race of the Christian life. And so regeneration is not like painting over wallpaper. Regeneration is the Holy Spirit coming in and ripping off the old and putting on the new. Now, fifthly, let me say this. Faith in Christ is the result of regeneration. Yes, I've said that, but I want to stress it. Faith in Christ is the result of regeneration. 
Nicodemus was confused about the method of entering into the kingdom of God. He thought that it was through law and through works. He saw law as a condition. Uh, he never knew that he must be born from above. The method of grace is the new birth. Its result is faith. All other evidences are but so many manifestations of the saving faith that is wrought in us by the Holy Spirit of God. So you see, when we come to those wonderful words, verse 13 and so forth, no one has ascended into heaven except him who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We will look to him, to Christ, for eternal life when the Spirit of God regenerates the heart. Trust is not just notion, not just mere intellectual assent, not fleeting emotion, but it is a total resting reliance on Christ to save us. And for that we need saving faith. And saving faith comes from the regenerative work of the Spirit of God. Now let me give you some final thoughts here. First of all, he says to Nicodemus, Are you a master in Israel, and yet you do not know these things? People of God, I'm deeply concerned about the state of the Christian church today. And I know God has regenerated faithful men who are preaching his word all over the world. Please don't think that I I doubt that. But I also know that even in our own community, you could walk in many a church this morning and you would have heard sheer works righteousness from the pulpit. And undoubtedly, throughout our land and throughout the world, many a man who stands in the pulpit doesn't know God, is not regenerated. Will you pray that the Lord will begin to work in some of those men's lives to bring them to saving faith in Christ through the regenerative work of the Spirit of God. That's what happened in the Great Awakening. Do you know that? In England, there were men standing in pulpits all through the land who were moralists, proclaiming works, 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 works. That's all people heard when they went to church. That was the 18th century. The 18th century England, morally speaking, if anything, was worse, far worse than what we see in our own culture today. If you've ever read about it, It was horrible. And one by one, all over England, the Holy Spirit began to work in this man and that man and that man and that man and regenerated them and converted them and gave them a desire to know Christ and to preach His Word and everything changed in England. And revival swept the church. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone was saved or that all of England was saved, but you know, you know how, how it has been said by historians that were it not for the Great Awakening that a French Revolution undoubtedly would have overtaken England as it had in, in France. Undoubtedly, that's the case. There was sweeping transformation of the culture because there was sweeping transformation of people sitting in pews. Now, will you pray with me that the Holy Spirit will work that way again. Only he can bless his word. Only he can do this. Only he can bring conversions. I told you last week of a church that has 45,000 members. And if you listen to the message that the preacher preaches, if they believe the message of that preacher, every one of them is lost. Every one of them. So pray that the Lord will bring about, raise up faithful men to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Believer in Christ, the gospel goes forth with divine power. It will endure, and so shall all the elect of God, purchased by Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Those are the truths that give us strength for life and strength in death. Now, someone may say to me, listen, why don't you stop expositing Scripture so much? Why don't you stop teaching us doctrine from the Bible so much? Why don't you give us a lot of stories... Why don't you just tickle our ears? Why don't you just appeal to our sentiment? Why don't you just set all of this kind of thing aside? Well, I can give you a zillion reasons, but let me tell you one, because it won't ready you for death. And I can tell you time after time after time, the saints of God in this church, I think of Vince Drawbridge and how we talked as as he was about to go into eternity about sermons and texts and truths and doctrines, and he was stable in his soul because of these things. Freddie Carter could repeat these doctrines. Regeneration, we talked about this. We talked about these things. These are the things that make you stable when you are on your deathbed because you know this God and you know these truths, and they are a rock under your feet. I was reading an Oliphant's book on the final perseverance of the saints a while back. I've read it several times, but, but he, says, um, he says this. He, he talks about Toplady, uh, the hymn Rock of Ages, and many others. He says, Mr. Toplady spent his ministerial life mainly in defending the doctrine of election by grace and kindred principles. Just before his death, he said on, um, on being told that his pulse was weaker, Why, that's a good sign that my death is fast approaching. And blessed be God, I can add that my heart beats every day stronger and stronger for glory. I'm being asked if he doubted the truth of his principles so long contended for. Do you doubt these doctrines of grace? Here's what Toplady said. Doubt, doubt, sir? Pray use not that word when speaking of me. I cannot endure the term, at least while God continues to shine upon my soul in the gracious manner he does now. Not but that I am sensible that while in the body, if left of him, I am capable through the power of temptation of calling in question every truth of the gospel. But that is so far from being the case that the comforts and manifestations of his love are so abundant as to render my state and condition the most desirable in the world. He's on his deathbed and he says, this is the most desirable state in the world. And with respect to my principles, that is his doctrines of grace, Those blessed principles which I have enabled in my poor measure to maintain appear to me more than ever most gloriously indubitable. My own existence is not, to my own apprehension, a greater certainty than these doctrines that I preached. He said, my dear friend, those great and glorious truths which the Lord in rich mercy hath given me to believe and which he hath enabled me, though feebly, to stand forth in the defense of are not, as those who believe nor oppose them, dry doctrines or mere speculative points, no. But being brought into practical and heartfelt experience, they are the very joy and support of my soul, and the consolations flowing from them carry me far above the the things of time and sense. That's Toplady. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. And that's what he did on his deathbed, because of these great and glorious truths to which his soul was committed. So I want you to know these things, understand these things, meditate upon these things over and over and over again. I've had the thought often upon my bed at night, 
and I feel my heart beating. What if this was the last hour of my life? Now look, all of us as we face death, there's a certain apprehension. I've never been through that before. But there's a difference in an apprehension, a kind of apprehension about the experience and fear of death itself. I have no fear of the results of death because Christ bore my hell for me. And so the day of my death would be better than the day of my birth because I'm born from above. And so, Christian, God will keep you to the end. Regeneration begins a process that takes you all the way to heaven. But even in a Sunday evening service like this, there may be those who are lost. You're undone. You don't know Christ at all. I wish there were many here who were lost to hear the Word of God. The Holy Spirit shows sinners two things. The Holy Spirit shows the sinner his misery by nature and the necessity of another foundation. You're on the wrong foundation. You don't have a foundation. You're standing on a spider's web. You need the rock of ages under your feet. The Holy Spirit does that. And so I call you to trust in Christ. The gospel message is believe in Christ and you will be saved. Now, I'm reminded of that story in the biography of B.M. Palmer. It's somewhere there. It's only a 1,000 pages or more. If you want to read it, you'll find it. Great book in which in his early ministry, oh, it would be an early part of the book then. <laughs> in his early ministry, B.M. Palmer has uh, is been preaching the gospel. <clears throat> and he preached good, honest, biblical Calvinism, as any minister should. And uh, he's saying to his people, you must believe in Christ to be saved. He's also saying to them, without the work of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. So someone came to him and said, I'm so upset, so very upset. Came to his study, sat down, probably paced back and forth. Dr. Palmer, you tell me that I must believe in Christ to be saved. Yes, that is right. You tell me that I can't do it on my own. Yes, that is right. Dr. Palmer, I want you to know I can believe in Christ whenever I want to. Go do it, said Dr. Palmer. The man huffed and puffed and couldn't do it, walked out of his study. Dr. Palmer continued his work, probably praying for the man. A little while later, the man came in and he said, Dr. Palmer, I can't. Ah, said Pastor Palmer, let's get on our knees and go to the one who can. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Emptying a man of of all of his self-righteousness, all of his hope outside of Christ, and bringing him, bringing him, drawing him through the Holy Spirit to himself, showing a man, you can't, but I can. That's the work of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.